What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Thank you for tuning into Balanced Black Girl. It is your host, Les, here. And today is actually a very special day because it marks the official 100th episode of the podcast. 100th episode, not counting the bonus episodes and some of the old Feel Good Friday episodes that I used to do. This is the 100th full regular episode. And I appreciate this community so much for hanging in there with me, for your support, for sharing it with your friends, which is what has been crucial for helping to grow this community. And I'm really excited to continue for the next 100. So to celebrate the 100th episode, I thought it would be fun to do a Q&A episode. I actually have not done a Q&A episode since I think early 2020 or late 2019, it's been a minute. It was definitely pre-pandemic and a lot's changed and a lot's gone on. And I wanted to be able to talk directly to you and answer your questions. And what I really appreciate about this Q&A episode is that a lot of the questions that I got from you all, I put a call out on Instagram, both on my account and on the Balanced Black Girl account, asking for your questions. A lot of them were actually very advice-based, which I really appreciate I think the last time I did this, a lot of them were more personal, and I'm down to talk about the personal too, but sometimes I still get a little weird talking about the personal because it's like, okay, I don't want to make this all about me. I would rather make it about you. So when I get questions about things that you're going through or things that you really want to know about that can help you, I am honored to do so. So I got a lot of questions, (laughs) which I appreciate. I'm not going to be able to answer all of the questions that were submitted in this episode, but I did try to kind of group together similar questions because I did get several questions that were pretty similar in some ways. And so I'm hoping to still touch on most of the points that you all were curious about through the questions that I answer here. And I also categorize them. So the main categories that I have are personal growth. So a lot of questions about just handling things as you grow and evolve. The second category, I called it grownish. These are questions that are more so just related to different topics of just being an adult and growing up and you know money and home and things of that nature. And then the last category is career and business. So some questions around building a community, working with brands, podcasting, and things of that nature. 
So let's get into it, starting with the personal growth questions. So the first question from the personal growth category was advice on how to handle getting back in the dating scene after the panini. Well, I mean, technically, the panini is definitely not over. And unfortunately, it looks like we're turning a corner where things are picking back up, which is really disheartening. And I'll be honest, y'all, I'm definitely very concerned about that. I don't necessarily think that has to stop you from dating, but I, I want to make it clear that at least from my perspective, I don't think the panini is over and I hope we're still moving accordingly. But I do still think that there are ways that you can date in the current environment if you choose to do so. So I'm not fully sure your background, your situation with dating, or some of the thoughts or programming that you have around dating. So, you know, kind of take this with a grain of salt. But I think the really important thing with dating in this current climate is really knowing your own personal boundaries and knowing how to communicate them clearly. So if you're still concerned about, you know, like the pandemic and safety, getting really clear with yourself of what you are and are not willing to do, right? Are you wanting to disclose vaccination status? Are you wanting to only meet up with people outdoors? Are you wanting to stay masked up? Like any of those boundaries that you have, check in with yourself, identify what they are and get really comfortable communicating them and communicating them early and making sure that whoever you're talking to is able to respect those boundaries just to put you at ease so that you can feel a bit safer just from that standpoint. Now, if you are a little bit nervous, maybe you've been out of the game for a minute. I get that. I definitely get that. And you're like, okay, how do I navigate getting back into these conversations? I think it's really important that you have grace with yourself. A lot of people are out of practice right now. The past year has thrown everybody for a loop in one way or another. And I think it's really important that you are honest with yourself about your intentions and your feelings. So if you want to get back out there and date, is it because you are just ready to meet new people? Are you looking for something serious? What are your intentions there? There's no right or wrong intention, but you need to know what that is. And you also should feel comfortable communicating that so that if someone is not on the same page or whatever that is, you feel comfortable doing what you need to do that's going to be best for you. And honestly, I think that's just a good rule of thumb with dating in general is don't be afraid to do what's best for you and keep that as a top priority. I also think that getting back into dating, especially if you haven't done it in a while, it's a really good opportunity to practice speaking up for yourself. And I've been seeing dating as an exercise to do that as I still evolve and learn to use my voice more and also learn to be more upfront with my intentions and when something is or is not working for me can be good practice for using your voice and speaking up more if you want to proceed with something or if you don't want to see somebody again, really practicing being upfront about those feelings in an honest and genuine way. It can be a really good way for you to practice kind of building that muscle. And then the last thing I would say, just when it comes to dating in general, panini or pandemic or not, is to not be afraid to release people. 
don't be afraid to release people. Don't have an attitude of scarcity around dating. And honestly, I don't really talk about dating that much with friends or people in my life who do not have abundant, expansive mindsets. For those people who maybe have a more negative perspective, a more negative outlook on it, have just some scarcity or maybe have settled themselves and are wanting to talk other people into settling. It's not saying that I don't love and adore maybe people in my life who have that perspective, but it means that I don't talk about dating with them because there can be a lot of projection of fears and limiting beliefs. And I think dating is an area of life that you benefit so much from being expansive and from being abundant. So I would also say One, be careful about who you talk about dating with, because if you have people in your life who want to project their fears onto you, it can be very easy for that to affect you and to affect your dating experience. I encourage you to only talk about it with the people in your life who have a mindset that you would either want to model or relationships that you would want to model that are really beautiful and abundant and expansive. And this is something that I have really learned over the past year. I am now very particular with who I talk about dating with. There are some people in my life who have just the most beautiful, abundant, incredible mindset, and I can talk to them about dating and romance and relationships in beautiful, uplifting ways. And then there are some people who have smaller mindsets, just a lot of fear, a lot of trauma, a lot of negativity, And it's really hard to maintain a positive mindset when you go down that road with them. So be super picky about who you even confide in about dating and about what you're looking for. And kind of getting back to my original point there, don't be afraid to release people. You know when it's a no. You know when you're not feeling somebody. You know when you see a red flag. Trust that. Don't be afraid to release people. Ultimately, like I said, you have to do what's best for you and you can absolutely still be respectful and respect other people's feelings, but don't feel like you need to hold on to somebody out of scarcity or fear that no one better will come because that's just not the case. So I think get really clear on your intentions, get really clear on what you want. And if there's not an alignment there, it's okay to release people, let them find somebody who is better for them. And that frees you up to find somebody who is better for you. So the next question is, what's the biggest lesson you've learned that you wish you knew at 25? This is a really great question. It relates a lot to what I was just saying about dating and and how I talked about, you know, I only talk about dating with certain people who have really aligned mindsets. And I think that can go for a lot of things, right? Be careful who you share your dreams with. Be careful who you share your ambitions with. Just be careful who you share your energy with. Because I've had a lot of friendships and relationships that were absolutely rooted in negativity. And for a long time, felt like I was just not where I wanted to be energetically or professionally or all of these things. And a lot of it had to do with the people that I was around. And that's not to say, you know, dump your friends. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying be very mindful of how you feel when you're around certain people. Be very mindful of the effect that other people's energy has on you. The other thing that I would tell myself at 25 would just be to calm down. (laughs) 
(laughs) I put a lot of pressure on myself in the first half of my 20s to have it all figured out. But what I've learned is that nobody has it all figured out. Nobody. I don't care who you're thinking of. I don't care who you're looking to. Nobody has every area of their life figured out. We're all living this human experience. We're all working towards different things and working through different blocks. And it's really hard to thrive if you're looking at what everyone else is doing. So stay in your own lane. Comparison truly makes no sense, none whatsoever. And to just be really, really kind to yourself. I would also say what I wish I knew at 25 is that you don't need to change who you are to win. When I first got into a lot of this work around wellness and personal development and mindset, it was not from a very healthy place. A lot of it was to change myself because I felt like there was something wrong with me at my root or at my core that needed fixing before I was worthy of different things. And sometimes that feeling still creeps up and I really have to check myself with a lot of these practices that I do. And we'll be talking about that soon on the podcast But I actually learned that you can only win by being yourself because if you're being something other than yourself, you can still get all the things. You can get all the relationships. You can get all the accolades. You can get all the jobs. But if you're attracting those things in a way that is inauthentic to you, you will never feel fulfilled. You will never truly win because you're winning things that aren't for you. And if you're winning things that aren't for you, then you're not winning. The last thing I would say, and this also kind of echoes the first point about dating, would be to just stop holding on to things that are not for you. This can be people, this can be relationships, this can be jobs, this can be places, this can be cities, this can be living situations. Stop holding on to things that aren't for you. Because if your grip is so tight on these things that you know aren't for you, that you know you're not happy with, but you're just so afraid of letting it go your hand is closed. You can't receive anything else. So when you loosen it up a little bit, open that hand up, that's when you can truly receive. So I'm not telling anybody to go (laughs) dump all their relationships, just move to a whole new place and be reckless about it. But I am saying be open to the idea of letting go of what is clearly not working for you. So those are some lessons that I've learned over the past five, six years that I really wish I knew at 25. But even if you're over 25 and still learning those things, that's okay. It's never too late to learn those lessons. The next question is, how do you have the confidence to take a big leap in life and career? So I I really appreciate this question. I would say, though, that I actually don't believe in big leaps because I think big leaps, it can be really hard to follow through. It can be very easy to talk ourselves out of it. And I also think that the bigger the leap, the harder the fall. So I more so believe in aligned steps. And when I started seeing changes in my life that I really wanted to see, be it you know, my personal life, my career, it wasn't from taking big leaps. It was from taking aligned steps. And so I think if you're looking to make some changes, instead of trying to focus on the big leap, because that can be really intimidating, I think it's better to identify the next best step in the direction you want to go and to take that step and then take another step and to take another step. And before you know it, those aligned steps have added up to a big leap. Does that make sense? You're picking up what I'm throwing down. So I hope that answers your question, although I didn't fully answer your question. But I think if you are not like me and you're like, sis, I want to take that big leap, 
do it. I mean, if something's been put on your heart to do, do it in a way that feels authentic to you and that makes you feel safe. I'm all about safety. Big leaps don't make me feel safe. Aligned steps make me feel safe. So I think really focus on what is the block there? What is stopping you? And how can you mitigate what's stopping you from taking the steps that you want to take? All right, the next episode, episode, oh my gosh, question. (laughs) The next question is, have you done an episode on astrology and if and how you apply that into real life? You know, I actually haven't. I have not done an astrology episode because, and this might surprise people, astrology actually isn't a huge part of my life. I've enjoyed learning more about it over the past few years. I was I I mean, I think we've all kind of know what astrology is, but I started getting more into it in my late 20s. I was just going through a lot. And my friend introduced to me the idea of a Saturn return. And then he pulled his my birth chart for me and started walking me through the different houses and what they meant. Now he's not an astrologer, so you know, take it all with a grain of salt. But that was when I learned what a birth chart was. That was when I learned what the Saturn return was. And I thought that that was really interesting information. And I've definitely enjoyed learning more about it over the past few years as a tool for understanding. But I almost went a little off the deep end where I was relying on it too much to determine my fate. And when I was looking to it for that, I didn't like what I saw. When I was looking to astrology to help me make decisions, it just, it it didn't feel good. It felt like a crutch and it felt like something that I was becoming too dependent on and not in a good way, not in an empowering way. It actually made me feel really bad. And so I, a little while back, made the decision to take some steps back. And I actually don't really invest much time or energy into astrology anymore because I just feel better without it. I do think it can be a useful tool for just learning a little bit more about yourself or about the traits that you have, but I really don't look to it to determine my fate or what next decision or step I should take. I would rather focus on co-creating the life I want instead of feeling like the stars are in charge. And, you know, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I just feel a sense of peace without giving astrology power over how I feel. So for that reason, I haven't done an episode on astrology because I just am not super interested in it anymore. I, it's not something that I would necessarily want to sit and have an hour-long conversation about, and that's what the podcast is. <laughs> so yeah, because I don't apply astrology to my real life personally, it just isn't something that I've been interested in bringing to the podcast. I think if I did have a guest who maybe had a different angle or a way to use astrology that was a little bit more empowering than some of the things I've experienced in the past, I would be open to it, but it's not something that is a big priority for me personally or a priority to cover on the podcast in detail. However, I will say of those modalities, I definitely feel more into and encouraged by human design. I know I've done an episode on human design. We actually have another episode on human design from a different perspective coming up. I've actually found human design to be a lot more empowering and a lot less of this is who you are, this is the traits you have, and more of here's how your energy flows and here's how to maximize it. And that to me just feels a lot more encouraging and a lot more empowering and less like I'm doomed to a fate that I don't want, if that makes sense. So 
astrology content, TBD, but definitely more human design content coming up. Next question is, what is your favorite journaling prompt you've used and why? So can I tell you a secret? I'm not into journaling prompts. I'm whispering because I don't want you to judge me. I actually love opening up a blank page and free flowing. I am, I love a blank notebook and I love to just let my thoughts flow on a page. And sometimes it is recalling my day. Sometimes it is just making a list of everything that's on my mind. Sometimes it's writing out scenarios in my life of how I wish they would have gone. I mean, I can just open up a blank notebook and free flow. But I know that that can be really intimidating. And a lot of you have asked for help with journaling. So I create journal prompts for you all that I think you would enjoy and benefit from. But I actually don't use journaling prompts. I love me a blank notebook that I can pour into. I hope, I hope that doesn't make you think less of me. <laughs> so then if you listen to this podcast, you know that I'm a big advocate for having hobbies and learning a new language is an incredible hobby to take up. I've been practicing my French with Babbel and it's been such an effective, engaging way to learn. I took French in high school and college, but I got a little rusty and I wanted to brush up before visiting France earlier this year. And I've been hooked on Babbel ever since because it's helped so much. And you too can make amazing progress with your language learning through Babbel. And that's because Babbel actually works. So instead of paying hundreds of dollars for private classes or playing on apps that are basically glorified games, you can take Babbel's quick 10 minute lessons that are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language as soon as three weeks from now. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and their methods for learning a new language are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, so you're learning things you would actually say, and delivered with conversation-based teaching. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. It's no wonder why Babbel has sold over 10 million subscriptions because it's real learning for real conversations. And they're offering a special limited time deal for our listeners to get you started right now. So you can get 55% off your Babbel subscription only for our listeners at babbel.com slash balanced. Get up to 55% off at babbel.com slash balanced, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash balanced. Rules and restrictions may apply. Next question is, how can we be kind to ourselves during tough times? Yeah, this is a really great question, and it's something that can be really challenging because I think we're all raised with the idea that tough love is kind of the only way to get through things. And it's something that I struggle with. I struggle with being kind to myself during tough times and not blaming myself for every bad thing that happens or blaming myself for not being where I want to be. But recently I've found that tending to my inner child can be really, really helpful. And I personally am right now doing a lot of work on looking into my childhood and looking into how I came to be, who I came to be, and really unpacking that. And if you find yourself being unkind, you know, think about if five-year-old you were struggling with something, how would you want her to be treated? What would you say to her if she was standing right in front of you? 
And I want you to treat yourself with that same love and care because even though you're older, you're still that same person and you still need those same things and you need that same love and support. And so even if maybe getting that externally is not available to you, start by giving it to yourself. So that would be that would be my trick. Anytime you find yourself being not so nice to yourself, imagine five-year-old you in front of you and treat you how you would treat her or them. All right. So I got a few questions that were very similar about how to approach difficult conversations or confrontation. And I'm, I'm going to give just my two cents here, but I also want to give the disclaimer that I am not a therapist. I am not an expert in navigating difficult conversations. It's also really hard to give good advice without knowing the context of your situation. So I'm going to just share kind of my general thoughts, but take it with, you know, use your best judgment here because you know you and you know why these conversations are difficult or what the situation is. So without knowing, you know, context of your situation, I'll say what's been helpful for me is making an effort to speak up when issues or circumstances are a lot smaller. So in the past, when I would have difficult conversations that I, you know, would need to engage in, the elements that made those things difficult had been happening for a while. And I let them build up to a point where it was just unbearable anymore. And I have been practicing really speaking up for myself in small ways with things that may not even really matter, just to practice speaking up and just to practice asserting in some ways. I found when bringing up difficult conversations, it helps to also focus on the behavior, not the person, because what can be really intimidating about a difficult conversation is feeling like, am I going to hurt the person? Are they going to get defensive? Are they going to get denied or are they going to deny it? And by focusing on, you know, here's the behavior, here's the thing you did, here's the situation and how it affected me, I found that can sometimes lead to a more productive conversation than just focusing on the person of you, you, you. Talk more about the behavior, okay? So also having specific examples of behaviors that either, you know, were difficult or had an effect on you can be really, really helpful because then that way it's a lot harder for people to deny it. It can be a lot harder for them to successfully gaslight if that's something that you're worried about. Just really have your ducks in a row of understanding what the situation is, what happened that bothered you, and having examples so that they could understand how their behavior impacted you. But I would also say that ultimately you can't control other people's reactions and your peace can't come from how someone else reacts to a conversation. So if there is something that is on your heart that is important for you to say it, you know, say it in a way that feels safe and effective for you, but know that you can't control other people's reactions and them reacting a certain way can't be your source of peace. Your source of peace has to come from you. But to kind of sum that up, I think the first way to feel more comfortable is to just start speaking up for yourself in smaller, lower stakes situations to get more practice, focusing on the behavior, not the person, and having specific examples of the situation or things that bothered you are all things that have been really helpful for me in navigating difficult conversations. All right. So the next question is advice on loving yourself again and boundaries after getting out of a toxic relationship. So sending you so much love 
first and foremost, I would say it takes time. And I don't know your full situation. I don't know how long you were in the relationship. I don't know how long you've been out of it. I don't know what your you know experience was with relationships or what you saw growing up before that. So all of those things definitely impact what you need. In my experience, it just really takes time to work through those feelings because chances are it took time for things to get toxic and to get to the point where you're at. And it's also going to take time to get to a healthy place where you are feeling centered again. So give yourself lots of grace would be the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say would be allow yourself time to get to know yourself again outside of the context of this relationship. Because oftentimes in relationships, we change a lot. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but who you are out of relationship can be very different than who you are in relationship, especially if you were in a situation where maybe there was some codependency or, you know, you use the word toxic. So it sounded like things were unhealthy. You were maybe under distress for some time. Who you are when you're out of that is going to be entirely different. So if I were you, I would use this time to really get to know yourself again, outside of the context of that relationship. It's a beautiful time to get back in touch with your needs. What do you like when you aren't worried about that other person? How do you want to spend your time when it's truly yours? What makes you feel most loved and supported? And how can you help yourself feel that way? And the answers to those questions can vary day by day, and that's okay. But really focusing on getting to know yourself again and getting to know this version of you and understanding what your needs are and doing the best you can to meet those needs, I think is a good place to start as you continue to work through that process. All right. So the last question in the personal growth section is how to build confidence and move past limiting beliefs. So I would say I think of confidence as a muscle. It's not something that some people magically have and others don't. I think it's something that we are all born with, but it can be weakened due to conditioning. So I like to approach confidence the same way I'd approach fitness or strengthening a muscle, right? We have certain activities that we can consider reps, just like a fitness rep. So your self-care routine can be reps to build confidence. Wearing your favorite items as often as possible, spending time with people you love, who truly get you, who you can be yourself around. Those are all things that you can consider reps to strengthen that confidence muscle. It can also do some help to reflect on what areas you struggle with. So are there certain places or spaces when you feel really confident, but for some reason you're less confident in others? What is the difference between those two spaces? Is it who you're with? Is it the context? Is it, you know, where it's at? Is it a location? Why is that? And from my experience, when I do this reflection, it usually comes down to safety. Anytime I don't feel confident, it's because I feel unsafe. And I feel most confident in spaces where I feel safe from rejection or judgment. And we can't control whether others accept or judge us, but we can create and foster a sense of safety within ourselves that we can carry with us wherever we go. And I think focusing on those confidence reps is a way to do that. But I wouldn't just diagnose yourself and say, oh, I'm not confident. You have confidence. You do. It's not something that we are. It is something we have. And we all have it. And we all have the ability to strengthen it. So I would do a lot of reflection on how you can 
strengthen what you have and put yourself in those situations that you know you already feel confident in to continue building that up. All right, moving on to the grownish section. So a couple questions here about finances and about kind of housing living situations. The first question here is, I would love to hear about your relationship with finances and some of the healthy habits that you recommend when trying to become more financially literate. So with finances, there is usually a lot to unpack, and there are so many things that can impact our financial habits. I will be fully transparent with you. I am not someone who has ever really struggled with spending. So if you're finding that your relationship with your finances has, you know, been impacted by maybe spending habits, I I won't be able to give kind of specific advice for how to navigate that because for me from a, a young age I was very conscious of where my money was going and the importance of saving my money. However, that came from teaching myself those habits and honestly it was a trauma response because i didn't have a lot of adults in my life who modeled that and i saw the repercussions of what happened when you don't and it really scared me and it gave me a scarcity mindset that i'm still actively working through so a lot of those things are what impact how we approach money our upbringing what we saw other people do while we were growing up how people in our lives talked about money So I would first start by looking at that and just reflecting on what that looked like for you. How did the adults in your life handle money when you were a kid? What, how did they talk about money? Was it something that was positive? Was it negative? Was it a source of stress? What did that look like? And that can really help you understand what you need to do to have a better relationship with money if that's something that you want to work on. So I would say for me, the health of my finances had has changed a lot due to factors outside of spending. Like I said, I'm not really someone who's a very big spender, but I've absolutely had my fair share of money issues from having really low paying jobs, lots of student loan debt, you know, living expenses. And I'm grateful that over time that's evolved. I mean, my finances are not where I want them to be, but I'm very grateful to have some good financial wellness habits that have served me well. So my number one financial wellness habit that I recommend is tracking where your money goes and doing so without judgment. So if you don't currently track, I recommend just going through regularly and just understanding where all your money goes without even setting a budget yet. So I personally like to do this every Friday. I have a spreadsheet where I track my monthly spending. Each Friday, I go through my statements, my bank accounts, and I update the spreadsheet with what I spent that week. And I just look at you know where I'm spending. And I do have loose budget categories with recommended allocations for the different places my money goes. But I actually find the practice of tracking to be far more helpful than forcing myself to stick to a budget. Energetically, when I frequently check in with my money, and I also include business and personal finances there, I manage them separately, but I follow a similar process. I just notice a sense of peace overall, and I'm less stressed because I know exactly where I'm at. So even times where my bank balance is real low, if I know it's low, that to me is far more comforting than having it be a mystery of if I swipe my card, what's going to happen. So frequently checking my accounts, all my bank accounts, student loan accounts, investment accounts, credit card statements have been really, really helpful for me. I'm not into surprises when it comes to money 
unless somebody wants to surprise me with a bunch of money, I mean, I'd be okay with that. From a savings standpoint, ever since I started working, I've always had a certain amount of money from each paycheck go towards savings. And when I had lower paying jobs, it would be even just the tiniest amount of money, but it would still be something. Just, I think that there's a lot energetically behind doing that. Even when I was making $16 at Lululemon, which was just a few years ago, I would have direct deposit set up the tiniest amount of money transferred to savings just in case. It truly would be maybe $30 a paycheck if I could even swing that. And I would change it all the time depending on how much money I had. But I would just have something go to savings just in case. I also took out a lot of student loans. Honestly, my biggest regret is going to the school I went to. I went to a private university that was outrageously overpriced. It put me and my family in a really tough financial position. And I'm not into regrets, but that would be definitely my biggest regret. I've paid off almost $60,000 in student loan debt on my own. And honestly, I did it just by checking my accounts all the time and putting any extra money I had towards student loans. I mean, I really didn't have a debt payoff plan. I was just constantly checking where my student loan balances were at. And then I was constantly checking my bank accounts. And anytime I had any extra money in my bank accounts, it would just automatically go to loans. I've also had times where I would take part-time jobs and I would live off of the money from the side jobs while putting entire paychecks from my day jobs towards my student loans. I'm not telling anybody to do that. I'm just saying these are things that I have done. I have had less than ideal living situations with terrible roommates to save money. I moved back in with my parents to save money while I paid things off. It was really tough. I'm actually still not fully done paying them off, but I'm just kind of sharing more about my journey there. The biggest thing that has helped me is checking my accounts all the time and throwing any extra money I had towards student loans. There are way savvier, more sophisticated ways to do that, but that is what helped me. Now, from an investing standpoint, I would say I'm not an investing expert. It's something that I'm definitely interested in taking more seriously now at this point in my life. But I do think at a minimum, everyone should have a tax advantage investment account if they can. So if your job offers a 401k, I highly, highly recommend signing up for it and contributing enough to get an employer match if it's available or if you're able to or just as much as you can spare to contribute. It can be really, really helpful for setting you up for the future as well as helping your future family if you choose to have a family. So I started my 401k at the age of 20. I was a corporate intern and they let us open 401ks or gave us the option to open 401ks as an intern. So I did because it just seemed like a good idea. I didn't do a lot of smart things when I was 20, but that was like the one smart thing. I did when I was 20. I made a lot of bad decisions back then, but that was a good decision. So I would say if your employer doesn't offer a 401k or if you have one, but you're also looking for additional ways to get started investing, a Roth IRA is another great option. So I think if you make under $130,000 a year, you can contribute and invest up to 6k per year now. And then you have 
access to that money tax-free later on. So I actually have both. I have a 401k through my job, and then I also have a Roth IRA that I contribute to because I'm able to do that now. But I think even just starting with one or the other, whichever is more accessible to you is super helpful. So a few good resources for money are I Will Teach You to Be Rich, which is a really great book. It's a great book that has advice for basic financial wellness and just getting started with investment accounts and really automating your finances to make it feel a little bit less stressful. So if you are interested in starting you know, a Roth IRA or understanding how your 401k works, that book will break it down really nicely. For money mindset, two books I recommend are We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers, which is a great read for anyone dealing with guilt around earning more money. And also You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero if you struggle with scarcity mindset. And I will link all three of those books in the show notes so that you can check them out. But I highly, highly recommend reading them all and also rereading. I've actually, I've read them all, but I think I'm going to reread them all soon just to continue letting the information sink in. We also have a few episodes on financial wellness from the podcast from actual financial experts. We had an op- episode with Tanya Rapley from MyFab Finance talking about financial wellness, and then another episode with Ornella Yovo from the Financial Gym talking about financial wellness habits. They are far better resources on financial wellness than I am. Like I said, y'all, I'm just a, I'm a cheap girl with a spreadsheet, but they're actual financial educators. So I will also link those episodes in the show notes so that you can listen to them. But that's kind of my spiel around my relationship with finances and the healthy habits that have helped me improve my relationship with money. All right. So the last question in the grownish category are tips on living alone for the first time in adulthood. First, I would say congratulations. That is amazing that you're living alone for the first time. It is a really, really beautiful experience. I would say use this time to get to know yourself. It's going to be one of the only times in your life where your time is yours and your space is yours. So savor that. This is the time to do whatever it is you want to do to enjoy the quiet. Or if you're more extroverted, have your friends over whenever you want. You can create a space that reflects you and is all yours where you can express yourself. Thinking back on the times in my life when I lived alone, those were the periods where I had the most personal growth and came into my own so much. And I think that can be true for a lot of people who have experiences living alone. So I encourage you to really savor that time and really enjoy the time that you have to just fully authentically be yourself in your own space. And I even, I think about that a lot. My, <laughs> I realize right now is likely one of the last times in my life that will be like this. You know, one day when I have a partner and when I have kids, I'm going to miss the quiet. I'm going to miss my alone time and I'm going to miss having a space that looks and feels how I want it to look. So while you're there, enjoy it, enjoy it and savor it. All right. Our last category, career and business. So this first question, what advice do you wish you would have had received? I'm reading this really awkwardly. I'm sorry. (laughs) What advice do you wish you would have received when it came to balancing a full-time job and side hustle? That's the question when I'm not reading it like a weirdo. I would say 
Hmm. Not necessarily advice that I wish I would have received because I, I don't know, but just advice that I would give anybody who is starting off a side hustle would be to keep them totally separate. I have had jobs where, you know, people that I worked with knew about my side hustle or followed me online and in my experiences that just doesn't end well. And so I've now gotten to the point where at my jobs I do not be connecting with people on social media and on social media I do not be talking about my job. I personally prefer to keep them totally separate. And I think that it is just cleaner and has a lot more peace that way. So I would not go looking for clients at your job. I would not, I wouldn't even really talk about it to be honest. And I'm not trying to sound sketchy there. I just, I think it can be a lot simpler to keep them totally, totally separate. The next piece of advice I would give when it comes to balancing a full-time job and a side hustle would be to be really ruthless about your time and your boundaries. It's really demanding to work full-time and to run a business on the side that can feel full-time, especially when you're getting started and you're the one doing everything in your business. So be really ruthless about your priorities. Really focus on the best, most effective way to spend your time and try to get things done in as little time as possible because a slippery slope with having a side hustle is just feeling like you're working all the time and don't have a life. And I've absolutely had seasons like that. And it can be really, really disheartening if you're trying to grow a business and you're trying to keep up at work and you don't have things in your life that bring you joy. So be really ruthless about your time and boundaries to get done what you need to get done and then live your life and enjoy your life. I'm not about hustle culture and people feeling like they need to work 24-7 because I, I don't think that's healthy for anybody. And I think it can be really harmful. So know that when you're building a side hustle or you're building your own business, you don't have to do business the same way you see other people do business or the same way your job does business. The really beautiful thing about having your own business is you get to decide what works and what doesn't. And you get to decide what kind of company you want to build if that's the route you go towards. So be really ruthless about the boundaries you set, what you want to do and what you don't want to do, and make sure that you still create space to enjoy your life. The last thing I would say would be find the things that you do really well. So if you are starting a side hustle, is there you know a specific skill, a specific idea that you have? Really focus on the things that you do well and only you could do and then start outsourcing and bringing on help as soon as possible. That is the biggest differentiator because then you're able to give energy towards the things in your business that really, really matter to you instead of burning yourself out truly doing everything, which is so easy to do if you've worked all day and you're tired from work and then you have to you know, come home and, and work on this business and burn yourself out at night. So really identify those things that only you can do. And as soon as your side hustle is making any money or you have any money to put towards outsourcing things, outsource it, outsource, outsource, outsource. It is truly one of the best things you can do for yourself. So the next question is, did you ever consider YouTube or posting video podcasts? That's a really great question. So one day, yeah, I I would love to. 
technically Balanced Black Girl does have a YouTube channel that has just the audio of the podcast. So there's that, but there aren't really videos there. I think there's some old, there's actually some old videos from the Balanced Berry up there. Please don't go watch them. Please don't go watch them. I'm begging you. They're embarrassing. I should take them down. But I would say for me right now, Video and YouTube take a lot of resources. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy or it takes a lot of money to learn video and to make it high quality or to have the money to outsource to create high quality video. And YouTube is a space, you know, it's not really like Instagram or TikTok where kind of off the cuff phone videos are acceptable. I mean, YouTube is like very high quality video and to create high quality video takes a lot of money to be able to afford those cameras. It takes money to afford the editing software. It takes a lot of time to learn how to use them or even more money on top of all of it to be able to pay someone else to do it. And from my standpoint, at least in the business right now, I mean, the business, the resources just aren't there, at least like today in the moment I'm recording this podcast, absolutely you know, manifesting more. But currently looking at my current spreadsheet, just the money isn't there to outsource video to make it high quality. And looking at my calendar and my energy levels, the time is not there for me to do that all myself. And so it's just not really a priority. But in the future, I would love to incorporate more video when I have the resources to outsource and bring on the support to make it really good. Also, you know, if I had a space to record video in, that would be awesome. But just my current predicament, my current resources, the spaces that I have available to me, that's just not really the case right now. But if anybody out there, you know, is interested in helping Balanced Black Girl hook up this video situation, you know, hit me up. But I would say from a resource standpoint, it's just not a priority. But one day. Next question. Advice for working with brands and growing an authentic online community. Yes. So I'm going to answer these two things separately. So first part, working with brands. I would say working with brands is all about relationship building. It's all about getting to know people. And the brand deals that I've had that have been more positive experiences are because I have built relationships with the people behind the brand. Brands are not making decisions. The people who work for and represent brands do. So I recommend starting to get to know the contacts at the brand and building relationships with them so that you're who they come to when they have an opportunity. The other thing I would say around working with brands is getting started. So create a media kit if you don't have one. A media kit is just a document that you can put together that talks a little bit more about you, the work you do, your platform, and you know what kind of services you offer when it comes to working with brands. So you can create that on Canva. There's a ton of amazing free templates there. So I recommend just creating one now, even if you don't think you're ready yet or whatever, just create one so that you have it. And then start reaching out to brands just to get on their radar, whether that is tagging a brand when you're using a product online or sending a brand a message and just saying, hi, you know, this is my name. This is my platform. I really love XYZ product. I'd love to learn more about what you've got coming up. And, you know, just getting on the phone with people from the brand so that they can get to know you. That is how you build the relationships that are 
going to help you be primed for more opportunities. And then it gets to the point where once you started working with brands a bit, it's almost kind of a snowball effect. The more you do it, the more opportunities come. But sometimes it does start with just kicking things off. And I'm finding now I'm working with more brands than ever, which is a blessing, but it's taken a long time to get to that point. It's been a lot of relationship building, a lot of pitching, a lot of putting myself out there, a lot of rejection, a lot of disappointment, and just keeping it going. So the second part of the question, growing an authentic online community. I think building an authentic community starts with you sharing authentic parts of yourself. And, you know, this is something that I definitely struggle with is how much to share, how much not to share. I feel like I share things and delete them and go back and forth all the time. But when you're really being yourself and when you're sharing from the heart, people see that and that's what people truly connect with. So looking for ways to be in conversation with your community. Even if you have a small community now, making it a conversation where you involve your community and don't just share content with them or talk at them, but have people respond back to you and help people feel like you are someone they can come to for whatever your niche is, is a way to start really building community. And I think also creating content that is very shareable, that makes people want to share it with their friends or that helps people in some way so that they feel supported by you is what creates um, a magnetism that can help you really authentically grow your online community. All right, y'all, we are coming down to the final question of the career and business section. And that question is actually podcast related, which is fun. I don't talk a lot about podcast related things on the podcast, but if you're interested in learning more about the behind the scenes of podcasting, let me know. I do share some on Instagram, on my Instagram account at balance less. But if you're interested in hearing more about podcasting on the podcast, I would be happy to share. So the final question is, how do you find guests for your podcast? Love this question. So a bit of a peek behind the curtains at my process is I usually will work on episodes in batches of six. So I don't, you all, if you listen to the show, have probably noticed this. We put out episodes weekly for six weeks. And then on the seventh week, I take a week off. And so I create six episodes at a time. And I think of topics based off of your requests my interests, things that I'm, you know, interested in and want to talk about on the podcast, as well as looking at the analytics and looking at what topics have performed well. What are you all sharing? What are you tagging me in? What am I getting your feedback on? And I kind of put all that information together and come up with six episode topics to cover for that next batch of episodes. And then I will then source the right guests to speak on each topic. So usually that comes from me just being kind of a creep on social media and lurking on people who I think have really dope work or people who I've already followed whose work has impacted me in some way and bringing them on the podcast. I also do get quite a a bit of pitches, which is really great. You know, it's so different from in the beginning, starting a podcast when nobody knows what it is and nobody really cares. It was all outreach. It was all me, you know trying to get people to come on the podcast and convincing them to come on this podcast that nobody listens to or knows what it is yet. And the really beautiful thing about the platform growing is now people see us and it has attracted potential guests to the show, which is amazing. I still haven't fully figured out the best way to manage pitches because sometimes we will get 
good pitches or, you know, pitches that could be interesting, but either are something that we've already covered and I want to have a bit of variety and keep things fresh or just aren't really in alignment with the topics that we've outlined based off of, you know, what I want to talk about or what you all are requesting. And so there are also like great guests who will pitch, but I'm just like, oh, the timing isn't right for this, or this just isn't really where we're at right now. And so I do supplement my outreach with some of the pitches if I get pitches that are in alignment. But sometimes it it is a little bit tricky to figure out how to weave that part in. So I haven't fully figured out how to manage that seamlessly. But right now, that is what the guest process looks like. All right. That's it. That's it for our Q&A episode for today. Thank you so much for celebrating 100 episodes of Balanced Black Girl with me. Thank you for submitting the really beautiful and thoughtful questions for your support over the past, gosh, two and a half years and 100 episodes. Like I said, I cannot wait for the next 100. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for being a part of this community. Huge thanks to our sponsors for supporting this podcast and really making this platform possible (laughs) at this point. Don't forget to check the show notes for the different links and codes to the products we mentioned in today's episode. And I will be back next week. And the really exciting thing about the podcast episodes starting next week is a bit more intention around having themes woven throughout each episode, changing the production process a little bit. So starting next week, It might look a little different. It might feel a little different. It will definitely sound a little bit different, but I'm really excited for the way Balanced Black Girl is evolving to continue serving you. So very excited because next week, episode 101 and beyond really marks a new chapter for Balanced Black Girl evolving and growing as a platform. And I am beyond excited for you to get to hear it. So thank you again for your love. Thank you for your support. Please keep taking care and I will talk to you next week.